Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 181 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is an internationally recognized software architect and agile transformation consultant. He's worn every hat from CTO to grunt programmer and is an expert level programmer in many languages. He is also an international speaker and a widely published author, having written 10 books and hundreds of articles. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. Alan Holub. Hi. Hi, Alan. So I really wanted to get maybe a little bit more about your background. Obviously, that's a very brief introduction. So could you possibly expand on that and tell us a little bit more about what you do? What I do is a perennial problem is that people ask me that at parties and I have no idea how to answer that because it's a complicated mess of things, which it's a career that ought to have a name, but it doesn't. I know lots of people that do the same thing, but we're all in the same problem. So on one hand, what I do is I help people get better at making software. I used to categorize that in terms of lean and agile process, but agile has turned into this hideously unhelpful word that doesn't mean anything at all like what the original creators of the Agile Manifesto thought it meant. So I'm not using that word anymore. I just talk about getting better at making software and improving organizational effectiveness and that sort of thing, and just leaving the whole word agile out of the picture entirely. So I do that on one hand. I'm a software architect also. And from my point of view, those two things go together in the sense that you can't be agile if you don't have an architecture that supports agility. So since you can't do one without the other, it makes sense to put, put them together. A lot of the speaking I do is on architecture topics uh, rather than agile topics. And then I do all the stuff that you need to do to support that. So I write and I make videos and I have a pretty active life on Twitter. So I don't know. I'd, I'd like a word that uh, puts all that in one place, but I don't know what that word would be particularly. <laughs> um, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. Is that I started out long ago, right after I got a school doing robotics. In fact, is that I was uh, building hardware, and in order to do that, I had to write the software that was needed to get the hardware to work. And by the time I had written a couple of compilers and a complete real-time operating system and the front end that ran the machines that I was working on, I was a software guy rather than a hardware guy. At least people wanted me to do the software instead of the hardware, and things sort of evolved from there. So for you, though, it's, it's presumably about the whole sort of engineering process. So ignoring the, the word and the term agile, it's all about delivery and, and how you go about doing it. It's about delivering something valuable to your customers. Certainly delivery is a component, right? If you're not delivering, you're not doing anything useful at all. So it's one of the things that people get wrong when they do some of the agile things like Scrum is they think, well, Scrum means we deliver every two weeks. Or even worse, they'll say, well, we sign off at the end of our sprint with stakeholders, but we only, we only give releases out every six months. And I see that as extremely dysfunctional, is that delivery is the most important piece. But in order to deliver, there's a lot of stuff you have to do, right? There's a lot of uh, things that control the way that the organization works, everything from DevOps to the way people interact with each other. People often don't focus on that enough. You look at people in 
some of the companies I've worked with, at least, and all they're interested in is productivity, whatever that is. And they focus on kind of metrics that don't really mean anything and all of the stuff that really doesn't have anything to do with getting something valuable into your customers' hands. So I focus on that. I focus on how to do that, figuring out what's valuable and how to get it into people's hands as quickly as you possibly can. Indeed. So, I mean, one of the things I saw when I was doing a little bit of background and research, I, was, I know you did a um, a presentation about estimation and the value of estimates. So, well, the lack of value of estimates. Is well, the exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, could you maybe give us maybe a very obviously a bit of a summary insight into your views around estimation in the context of a software shop that is agile with a lowercase a in the sense of being very flexible and nimble. You can't decide in advance what you need to build because you don't know what you need to build. In other words, you, you, learn, you learn what you have to build as you build it. So at the center of most of the so-called agile processes when they're done right is this notion of a very, very fast delivery cycle where you figure out what you need to build next and then you build it and then you get into the user's hands and then you get some feedback and that feedback tells you what the next thing to do is. And that whole process might take a couple days it might take a couple hours. If it's taking a couple weeks, it's way too long. And if it's taking months, it's just, it's unusable. So in the estimate world, that whole thing is based on having this long-term plan that you're trying to estimate way out into the future. And in a world where you have very short delivery cycles, you just can't do that, right? There's nothing to estimate. So the whole no estimates movement is built on the idea of instead of estimating, what we're going to do is focus on delivering the most valuable thing that we possibly can in the next iteration, which is not to say you don't have any metrics at all, is that there are things that you can keep track of in order to make projections about where you're going to be at some point in the future. Um, a lot of those tend to be lean metrics like throughput and cycle time and that sort of thing. So you're projecting, but you're not estimating in the sense of coming up with a long-term plan and figuring out what tasks are involved in implementing that plan and then figuring out how long the tasks are going to be and then summing yeah. them up is that there's no point in doing that if you don't know in advance exactly what you're putting together. You know, in the agile world, estimation has never really been a big part of agile, but one of the things that you see in dark agile and the sort of fake agile that is dominant now is this strong emphasis on velocity and story points and just all this craziness, which has no real value any kind of business sense. So the whole no estimates movement is about trying to get rid of that and replacing it with planning, but planning that's not based on estimating tasks, planning that's instead based on leanish kinds of things like on average, how long does it take for you to create a, to implement a story without paying attention to what the story is, right? You're not analyzing the specific work. You're just analyzing work in general. So taking a task and saying, on average, it would take this long to do that. Right. That's kind of worthless in my mind. I don't see any point in that. So, Alan, can you perhaps share with us a career tip, one that maybe the audience doesn't know and should? Um, that's a good one. You know, as I said, I'm a consultant. I'm an independent. Yeah. So I suppose the two big things that are important is that you've got to have enough money around, right? Is the, <laughs> the, the tendency is to be um, optimistic about your ability to get work. And I've been doing this for a long time and my income goes way up and way down over the course of the year. You know, by the end of the year, it's fine, but cash flow is a constant problem for consultants. So if you don't have about six months of cash sitting around, 
there's too much stress yes. <laughs> in the lifestyle to make it worth doing, right? So a pile of cash, I think, is a good career tip. Yeah. Um, the other one, which I it took me a long time to really understand, is how important marketing is and social media and that kind of stuff. For, for a long time, um, work just kind of fell out of the heavens like mana. And that doesn't happen anymore. I have to actually go out and get it. That's involved a lot of focus on at least some social media. As I'm focusing on Twitter almost exclusively. I, I only have so much time and Facebook is evil as far as I'm concerned. So I don't really want to have anything to do with them. Right. So, <laughs> so Twitter, Twitter, though, it's kind of weird and not very safe and kind of argumentative has turned out to be pretty interesting, actually, is that I've had some good discussions. I've learned a lot. And it kind of gets people to know who I am and what I believe in. And if you were to hire me, what exactly are you getting? Yes. Which is a hard thing to get across if you're just doing marketing collateral. Yeah. So that, that's been pretty handy to me. It's worth spending time on social media quite directly. The only other tip I'd throw in that is that I am laser focused on my Twitter account on what I do for a living. I'm, I don't let any kind of politics or anything like that get into the stream at all is that it's just, it's a distraction and it's just not worth having those kinds of discussions on a platform like Twitter. Sure. So the, the, I think focus is extremely important there. I think you're right. I, I tend to avoid all that myself as well for the same reasons. So Alan, can you perhaps tell us about your worst career moment and what you learned from that experience? Uh, the, the two examples, one of them, I guess is kind of worst is that I, I was hired by a largish company to Ostensibly, they were hiring me to learn about a system that they were putting together and then put together training on it. And in the process of doing that, I'm an architect, right? This, is, this was one of the worst pieces of software I've ever come across. And the people who were working on it fell into two camps, one of whom agreed with me and the other of whom were like glassy-eyed moonies, right? As they were, <laughs> <laughs> they thought this was the best thing since sliced bread. And I kind of felt obligated in that situation to just write a letter to the CEO of the company and saying, this is awful, right? You keep investing in this, it's just money down a hole. You really don't want to be doing it. That was not a bad moment because I was thinking I was doing the right thing. I still think I did the right thing, right? Is that I'm, I'm not being hired by a manager, I'm here being hired by the company. And I feel a responsibility to the company as a whole when I do work, not to a specific person. And the fact that this, this specific manager was not very happy with me writing this letter just got, was kind of irrelevant to me. But the downside of that is that for about two years after that, or three years after that, I would keep not getting jobs because one of the people in the, this is the best thing since sliced bread camp would be working for the company that was <laughs> talking about hiring me and would manage to blackball me. So it's, it's, it wasn't exactly a worst moment, but it's a, it's an example of doing what I think is the right thing. And I would do it again, absolutely, without any any second thoughts. But it having kind of real world ramifications that I hadn't really thought through <laughs> when I was doing it. So that was interesting. It's interesting to hear that you, you'd effectively do the same thing again from a conscious perspective, I suppose, that it was the right thing for you to do. So you don't have any... Well, it's also, it's not only is it the right thing, it's the honest thing. Yes. I just, what I do for a living is I, I help people get better at making software. And if I can't be trusted, if I'm not honest, how could I do that job? How could that even work if people couldn't trust what you had to say? So exactly. you've got to be honest. It's the, one of the things about doing what I do is that somebody who comes in and is doing uh, sort of agile and lean and so forth consulting at my level is a very threatening person. There's a lot of people in the company who are threatened by the things that I say. 
depending on the company, it could be because their jobs are on the line. It could just be that they've invested in a certain way of thinking and they are threatened by other ways of thinking. But when consultants like me come in, there's sort of an inherent level of, of being threatening there. You have to be able to be happy with getting fired. You have to be able to be happy when you go into a job to say, I'm going to say what I actually believe. And if that gets me fired, that's fine. I don't care. But what I do care about is trying to honestly present my actual feelings about what's going on and how to fix it. You know, and if the company doesn't want that, they shouldn't be hiring me to begin with. But I don't really, if they, what are the point though, if they're going to fire me because I said something, I don't want to be working for them anyway. So I'm, I'm happy to have that happen. So moving away from your worst moment, could you possibly tell us about your highlight or, or greatest success? I don't know that I have a highlight particularly. Certainly, I'm, every time I have a success, I think of it as a highlight, right? and is that it's, it's good to come into a company and actually be able to make some real changes and see things get better, um, see people be happier in the way that they work and see the company be more effective and all of that kind of stuff is that I really, I really like doing that. You know, I've, I've had some, I wouldn't call them highlights, but things that I've done that have opened my eyes to being able to do more of the same kind of thing, if, if you see what I'm saying, you know, where I'll try something and it works or I'll, for a long time, I was just teaching small classes in-house and I did a big presentation at Java One for probably 3,000 people in the room. That was the first big presentation that I had done like that. It was the first thing that was larger than a class with 20 people in it or 30 people in it. And it wasn't exactly a highlight, but it really sort of opened my eyes to the fact that I could reach a much larger audience if I set my mind to it. That I didn't have to be focusing just on, you know, small groups of people that whole organizations, or in this case, many organizations altogether could listen to what I have to say and get something valuable out of it. Is that, that, that was pretty, pretty nice. In that instance, you obviously took yourself out of what was your comfort zone, presumably? It wasn't so much a comfort zone thing. It was just that I hadn't really thought about doing things like that. Right. Like all programmers, I'm an introvert, but introversion doesn't mean that you're particularly shy or <laughs> uncomfortable to stand up in front of people. It just means that when you relax, you want to relax somewhere quiet. So I wasn't actually uncomfortable in front of the crowd at all. Um, it was just another talk. It's the, the, when I speak publicly, I, this is something I learned really early, that the people that you're speaking to are, are just like you, right? They're your coworkers. They're not, yeah. they're, there's nothing to be afraid of. Is that you know something that they don't know, and they know a lot of things that you don't know. So I've always thought of speaking as a more collaborative thing than not. I, I am most comfortable when I can be in a room where people have, are happy to blurt out questions and you know, make suggestions or maybe even make, criticize things that I'm saying, because that makes for a better class. It makes, makes for more, more interesting back and forth. Since I've had that attitude, getting in front of people and talking has never really bothered me because I don't find the people sitting out there intimidating. They're just people like me. And presumably you get quite a lot of positive feedback after a talk as well? I do usually, yeah. There's always one yeah. person who hates it, but the, I figure if, if I get 500 people that like it and one person that hates it, I'm okay. Though, though yeah, it's, exactly. you know, it's hard to not give too much weight to the guy who hates it. There's just something, I, I guess it's imposter syndrome or something, but the, you, know, you get 500 great reviews and one bad one, and it's a bad one that you focus on. I, I, I don't know why that is, but it always yes. works that way. That's human nature. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Okay. So, Alan, can you tell us exactly about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT in particular? The future is kind of interesting. I, I've been talking a lot lately on Twitter and about 
Agile and what Agile is. And I'm also going to be writing a book on this subject. I've been talking to O'Reilly about writing a book on the subject. But Agile has turned into this horrifically bad pile of steaming garbage. I just, it's, it's, it's turned into something that has to do with rigid processes that you get certificates in that you follow by the book. And it just kind of flies in the face of everything that Agile is. And I, I have been uh, disturbed by that it's hard to see a way for the industry to get out of that is that here was this great promise, right? A new way of working that was actually very effective. And what I'm seeing now is the IT industry as an industry systematically rejecting it and just replacing it with the same old garbage that they've ever done, but they call it agile. And that kind of upsets me, right? Is that there's a bunch of agile hating happening right now. And what they're hating is not agile. What they're hating is this, this dark agile, right? This, this thing that calls itself agile, but isn't, but they still hate it. So there's a tendency to then reject the throughout the throughout the baby with the bathwater, if you will, is to reject the big thing because the implementation that you see in front of you is so awful. And I that doesn't make me feel particularly good about the future of IT as a industry. So in terms of my career, I don't know how that's going to impact things. Is that I'm certainly thinking about not using that agile word anymore because it's come to mean something bad, and focusing rather on the things that you have to do in order to be effective which I, I think is a better way to do it. But I, it makes me kind of worry about the industry as a whole, though, because it seems like we're not learning anything. It's that we're, the, in spite of the fact there's all this new stuff and it's been proven to work, the industry as a whole is rejecting it pretty unambiguously. And I, I find that kind of disturbing, to be honest. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. Um, I, I do wonder myself whether it's, as you say, it's, it's other companies of adopting it and then changing it to, the, to almost almost fit the way they do things as opposed to actually following the principles of what Agile is all about. Well, and the things that they adopt are not Agile. SAFE is not an Agile process. No, no. I, I have nothing against SAFE as a process, right? If you want to do SAFE, fine. But don't pretend that it's an Agile process, right? So the the what people are adopting are things that are like SAFE or Scrum, right? Scrum is, is not an Agile process particularly anymore. Though there's a lot of, there's, there's room there is that I think um, Ken Schwaber's organization does a much better job of presenting Scrum than Sutherland's does. This is Scrum.org versus um, Scrum Inc. On one hand, you can say, okay, Scrum is an agile process. So if you're not agile, you're not doing Scrum. And I can agree with that. And on the other hand, they say Scrum is a specific thing as defined in the Scrum Guide, and you have to do it exactly what it says. And I can't agree with that at all. And unfortunately, the latter seems to be the thing that is dominant. So I'm, <laughs> yep. you know, I, I, I despair about <laughs> all of this. Is that I, <laughs> I wish I had a more upbeat thing to talk about, but I'm despairing about all of all of this stuff when it comes to processes. Sure. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? Okay. So, what first attracted you to a career in IT? I actually started out learning computers because I was uh, com- I was a musician. And I wanted to learn how to build my own electronic instruments. So that was the thing that attracted me first. Then once I got out of school, of course, I couldn't get a job doing that. So I got jobs doing engineering work and I just really enjoyed it. Is that I, I, The attraction was just that it was fun. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? I don't know. I have a hard time with that one. I've read a bunch of books. I haven't gotten a lot of career advice because I haven't had a traditional career where you get mentored and get advice and get coached and that kind of stuff. It just hasn't really happened. Okay. 
And I suppose this might be just as difficult as well. So what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Well, worst is easy, actually. Okay. My bane has always been marketing. I just have a hard time marketing myself. And every so often, I'll sit down with some successful extrovert. And they say, you know, marketing is easy. All you have to do is yada, 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 yada. And what they're saying sounds to me like all you have to do is sit in a corner and hit yourself over the head with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? In other words, it's things that I just could never possibly yes. do. I might be able to hire somebody to do them, but I can't do them. And that kind of advice is like really bad advice to me, is this notion that you can take things that work for an introvert or an extrovert and somehow just do them. And it somehow should just be easy when it doesn't match your personality at all. I think is really bad advice. You know, advice to be useful has to be given by somebody who knows you well enough to understand what's going to work and what's not going to work. And it's not going to discount the fact that you can't do something as laziness or intransigence or some other, <laughs> you know, negative thing. And if you were to begin your career again right now in today's world, what would you do? I'd probably have a different career. You would. I, you know, because when, when I started the whole industry was pretty small. I met Steve Jobs many times. I've gone up to Microsoft and talked to Bill Gates a few times. So you couldn't do that now, right? It's just not possible. More to the point, I was writing for Dr. Dobbs and all of the writers in the tech world knew each other. And all of the people that were doing architecture, Bob Martin and I spoke at the same conferences. So we knew each other. Yep. The world's not like that anymore. And it's not as fun. <laughs> it's a consequence. It used to be a tribe and it's not a tribe anymore. It's become too big for that. Yes. So I look at software development now and of course coding is fun, but there's a limit to that. And I don't know if I would pursue it or not as a career at this point. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Uh, mostly right now I'm focusing on getting my marketing stuff in order. Yeah. Um, and you obviously mentioned possibly a book as well. Yeah, but I've got like a dozen of those. And, uh, <laughs> right. It's, it's yet another book. I, I don't have high, high hopes for a book. It's a lot, of, a lot of times when you read a book on career advice, right? Um, somebody says, write a book, right? As if that's going to do anything. And writing a book gives you, it gives you some visibility, which is good. Yep. And it allows you to be an expert in a way that people can verify because they can read the book and say, yeah, I agree with this. But it doesn't actually get you any work. No. It's a way of validating somebody, but it's not a marketing tool. Yep. So I don't expect a lot to come out of books. You don't make a lot of money on them. They don't actually serve as a direct path to more work or anything like that at all. But they do, uh, at least in my case, the reason I'm writing it is that I want my clients to know what they're getting into. Yes. So <laughs> they can pick up the book and they can read it and they can have a general idea of the way, I, you know, what I feel about the subject that I'm writing on. It's a positioning tool for you. It's a positioning tool. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Writing. Yeah. That's easy. I have a double major. I, instead of having a typical bachelor's, master's things, I did two bachelor's degrees, which is kind of an odd approach, but it's what I ended up doing. But anyway, so I have degrees in computer science and also medieval history. And I learned how to write in the history department. And that has been a skill that has been extremely valuable to me through my entire career. Yes. Both the actual writing, the communication aspect, but also all of the learning to do all of the things that you have to do in order to write, all of the kind of organizational aids and uh, you know how to get yourself uh, organized, how to figure out what to work on, how do you figure out what's important, all of those things. 
are things that you learn when you learn how to write, and nobody in any CS department that I know of teaches that stuff. No, no, you're probably right. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Well, in a way, what I do for a career keeps it energized, right? Because I speak at conferences and I write books and yep. I go onto Twitter and I <laughs> write articles for blogs and all, all this stuff, right? And that kind of keeps me going is that it's um, the energizing, I think, comes from learning new things in all of these venues. When I speak at a conference, I'm also going to the conference. So I learned a bunch of new yes. stuff that I wouldn't otherwise have learned. And, you know, I get really energized just interacting with other people that are doing what I'm doing. You know, the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference, for example, is just a great conference for me because I'm surrounded by other software architects. It's great. Yeah. You know, and I, I like that. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Away from technology. I ride a bicycle. I'm a, I'm a musician, so I play the piano a lot. Um, I draw occasionally. I'm an artist. I don't know, bunches, bunches of stuff. Those are, those are the three big ones, I suppose. And can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? You know, if I'm going to do anything, what I'm going to say is that even though being a consultant might sound scary, I really enjoy it as a way to make a living. I enjoy the freedom that you get. I enjoy the fact that I'm in charge of my own schedule and I can pick my own clients. I really enjoy the fact that I'm not sucked up into all of the politics and weirdness that you see when, in, when you're working for a big corporation. So... If you can handle the uncertainty, in other words, if you can handle the fact that your cash flow is going to go up and down over time, and you know sometimes you'll have no income and sometimes you'll have a lot and that sort of thing, then I think working as an independent is actually a great way to work. And it isolates you from a lot of the problems that are associated with our industry that are employment related. Yes. You, know, you don't have to worry about getting fired if you're a consultant. Or maybe you always have to worry about it, but <laughs> at least at least it comes with the territory, right? It's not a exactly. surprise. And I, I, I like that. And Alan, finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? I guess the two best ways right now are my website, which is my name, holub.com, H-O-L-U-B as in bravo.com. And on Twitter, I'm as I said, I'm on Twitter a lot. So um, there I'm at Alan Holub, A-L-L-E-N-H-O-L-U-B as in bravo, just my name again. So those are, those are probably the two best ways to get hold of me. The other thing I'll throw in actually is that the if I can if I can put in the shameless plug here for a second, um, if you're actually interested in having me come in and talk or work with you, I'm happy to talk with you on the phone or with a video chat or something like that. So just you know get hold of me with a DM on Twitter and then we can set up a video chat and actually talk talk. So I'm happy to do that. Great, that's fantastic. Thank you, um, Alan. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. As always, my thanks go to my guest on today's show. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. I also want to thank you for your continued support. It's always great to hear from listeners, particularly when they have suggestions about potential guests or ways to improve the show. And this was one of the reasons for creating the new IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. I'm really excited about taking the podcast forward and I hope that you'll continue to support and listen to the show as it continues to change and evolve. Thanks for listening and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, 
visit itkoreaenergizer.com.